Okay, so what's more important? What's more essential? Is it the size of your faith that matters? Is it how much faith you have, how excited you are? Or is it the object of your faith? Is it the, 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 the person, the thing that you put your faith in? It's the object of your faith. You see, you could come up here and you could have great faith in me. Right? You could have a vast amount of faith, put this apple on your head and you're going to die. That's practically a promise. Because <laughs> I have practiced in... Mm. You see, but if your faith, if the object of your faith, no matter how big your faith may seem at the moment, or how small, is in the living God, if your faith is in the creator of the universe, if your faith is in an all-powerful all-knowing, all-loving, faithful God, then we're going somewhere, aren't we? We're headed somewhere. And we're calling this series Ready, Aim, Fire. Now, I need you all to do it. Say it with me, okay? Ready? Right. Ready, aim, fire. Now, say it like you mean it, okay? All right, let's go. Are you ready? Ready, aim, fire. Okay, so there's all three of those things are essential. All three equally important in the process, but there's a sequence that we follow there. And, and there is a kind of a buildup that comes because when we get to the end, we want to do what? We actually want to release that arrow. We, you know, we want to, you know, we want to trust that we're going to hit that target. These are strong vocal commands, are they not? These are imperatives uh, that, you know, that are important if you're in battle, if you're on the battlefield. So, here's the question I have for you. If the Holy Spirit of God is the one who is preparing you, who is readying you, and it's, it's He that is helping you to take aim, to see what His will is for your life, and He calls you to fire, He commands you to release... How likely are you to hit your target? Right? If it's done in obedience to him, if he's readied us and we are aiming at the right things and we let it fly, right? Is that not going to honor God? Are we not going to are we not going to accomplish his will and his purpose? you know, for our lives. Now, we need to talk this morning because we need to look at a biblical model for, you know, for, uh, for the church and particularly looking for that model of the church that is firing on all cylinders. And you need no look no further than where? The book of Acts, right? The Acts of the Apostles. Now, here's a little side note for you. You know what the word apostle means, the acts of the apostle. The word apostle literally comes from the Greek. It means sent ones, ones who are sent. So it fits our, our vision, fits our theme for the series to live sent. But if we look at the, at the acts of the apostles, if we look in the, in the book of Acts, then let's take a look at, at the early church as a model for, for a, a church that is actually ready, aiming, and firing, that is firing on all cylinders, if you will. 
So we're going to read from chapter 3 of the book of Acts. That's where we're going to start. And then we're going to backtrack just a little bit into to chapters 1 and 2. But here we go. So if you have your Bible, you have your smartphone, get, get there with me. Acts chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 1. Okay, so, so here's the first thing. If a church is going to fire on all cylinders, if a church is going to actually complete the will of God, you know, for, for a church, it's going to begin with what? When we pray. So here's the first thing we do. We pray. Chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at the ninth hour. That would have been 3 p.m. by their clocks. There were morning prayers that were offered in the temple at 9 a.m. at the third hour the third hour after sunrise, and, it, and afternoon prayers at 3 p.m. at the ninth hour. So Peter and John, good Jewish boys, good Jewish lads that they were, are observing call times of, of prayer there in the public place. That was their intent. They go there to pray. So there are, there are public prayers. There are gatherings for prayer. There are private prayers. There are there are all sorts of prayers in the book of Acts. There are 25 times where the word prayer or praying is, is mentioned in the text, whether noun or verb, and, and it's as if everything depends or hinges on prayer. At all critical points and critical moments for the early church, they were praying. As a matter of fact, if you remember, Jesus is standing with the apostles on the Mount of Ascension, Right? And he tells them that they're to go to Jerusalem and they're to wait there until they are baptized. They are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. And you'll remember that they were given a foretaste of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20 where Jesus breathed on them. And the word breath, pneuma, is the same word for breath or wind or spirit. He he literally breathed on them and they got a foretaste of the Holy Spirit. And you remember that that happened right after Jesus said what? He said, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then they get a foretaste of the Spirit. And now on the Mount of Ascension, he says, guys, you go and you tarry in Jerusalem until you're immersed in the spirit. And of course they began to ask about the kingdom of, of God. Chad talked about that last week. And, and, then, and then we come to verse 8. Where Jesus says. Jesus says guys you shall receive power. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in Judea and Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. It were, those were his last words, the Great Commission in, in Luke. And then he rises, and the, and the disciples are doing what? They're standing there, and they're, they're looking up. They're gazing into the sky, and there are these two angels that join them. Two angels. And they say to the disciples, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? Why are you standing here looking up into the heavens? Guys, what are you gawking at? 
Now, you remember that Peter and James and John were with Jesus at the transfiguration experience when they saw the glory of God in the transfiguration. And what did they want to do? They wanted to camp out. We're coming up on the Feast of Tabernacles where the Jewish, you know, uh, 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 high holiday where they build lean-tos and tents, you know, to represent the, the wanderings in the wilderness. And, the, and, and when, when the, the, the three, Peter, James, and John, they saw the transfiguration, the glorified Christ, the prefigurement of his glory, they, they wanted to camp out. They wanted to, they wanted to pitch a tent. They wanted to stay right there. And so no wonder Jesus sends, you know, two angels back to nudge these guys back to Jerusalem. Guys, don't just stand there gawking. Do what Jesus told you to do. And so they did. Verse 12, chapter 1. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet that was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and, and then he lists the apostles, because these apostles obviously were going to be significant in the, in the birthing of the early church. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, and James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all these, listen, this in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were praying and they prayed for about 10 days. And then what happened? And they were immersed in the spirit of God and they began to proclaim the gospel in every person's tongue or language there in Jerusalem. So here's the question I would ask you, what were they praying for? Gathered in that upper room, what do you think they were praying for? What do you think they were devoting themselves? What do you think they were seeking from God? Were they praying for the city of Jerusalem? Were they praying for the souls of men? Were they praying for the Holy Spirit to come? Were they praying for Aunt Martha's arthritic knee? I mean, seriously, what were they praying for? You know, somehow I doubt it was Aunt Martha's arthritic knee. Don't you? Church, you get around us and you get us in groups, we start praying for each other. We start praying for Aunt Martha's arthritic knee just about every time, don't we? Are we as a church praying for our city? Are we praying and asking God for the souls of men? Are we praying for the Holy Spirit to fill, you know, our lives, to use us, you know, in to accomplish the will of God? Are we waiting on him? Are we receiving instruction for him? Are we, are we seeking him in prayer? You see, because if, if we're going to live sent as a church, that's where it's going to start, as it did in the early church, with prayer. Now, there's insight that, you know, that, that we gain from chapter 4. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are really all built around one incident where Peter and John go into the temple and they heal a lame man, and then they get in trouble for it. The religious leadership have the temple guards arrest them, and they're taken before the Sanhedrin because they are preaching, they're proclaiming the gospel, and the religious leaders try to shut them, shut, try to shut them down with stern warnings that they're, not, they're to do, not, do that no longer in Jerusalem. 
And that when they go back to the upper room at the end of chapter 4 and in verse 29, listen to what happens. And now the Lord, here's, here's what they're praying. This is a prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant that your servants would continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, listen, listen to the answer of their prayer. And when they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. Uh, And this is a particular Greek word, saluo, which is a a word for, uh, you know, for a, a, a wave, a huge wave that is stirred up by wind or a storm. In other words, it's like a shock wave. You've ever been like in the ocean and kind of just not watching, had your back turned, and you get knocked down by a wave? I have. That's the word, you know, that, that, that is used here. That place was shaken. It was like a shock wave hit them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. They received boldness. Maybe that's how we should be praying, well, Ben. Maybe we should be praying for boldness. Boldness. The kind of faith that lets the arrow go. That fires. Okay. There's a second thing we find in, um, in the early church, and that is partnerships. We should partner with others. If you go back to Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the early church, listen to verse 41 in Acts chapter 2. It says, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then listen to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And the word is koinonia there, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, and they were praising God. They were having favor with the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, and for the first time in the New Testament, the word koinonia appears, the word fellowship. And, and we translate it often as fellowship, but it's, but it's translated as partnership in other places in the New Testament. It's in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says, I thank God for the Philippian church because of your partnership in the gospel. I mean, we, we, we are to pray, but we're also to form partnerships. We're to be involved in community. You, you, you realize what happened here in chapter, in chapter 3. Peter and John, the two of them, went to the temple together to pray. When Jesus sent out the disciples every time in the Gospels, have you ever, have you ever noticed, ever paid attention? Did he ever send them out alone? Never. He paired them up. He paired them up. Peter and John are just continuing to follow the pattern of living in partnership with others. And so, so, you know, my encouragement for you would be for you to partner up with, you know, with other 
believers of like mind, believers that want to live sent, that, that want to live for Christ. Because that's the pattern that we find in, in Scripture, is that we're called into fellowship, we're called into community, not just as a church, but as a church made up of, of small groups and, and partnerships that might just be prayer partnerships. So here's Peter and John, they're partnered. They're headed for the temple to pray. One thing that I would challenge you to think about is, what if you partnered with somebody for prayer? What if you, what if you with intent, you, you found a prayer partner that you would begin to lay some requests out, just simply a, a simple prayer list that you would covenant to pray for one another? And, 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 and I'm not talking about praying for Aunt Martha's arthritic knee, okay? I'm talking about praying for some people and situations in your life. What if you partnered up with, with another person? And it could be your spouse. And, and you just begin to prayer walk your neighborhood. Just, you can take about 20 to 30 minutes to go and just walk around your neighborhood and, and just to pause where you are impressed to pause. But you just, you just spend time in, in prayer, praying for the people that live in the houses in your neighborhood. And people that you have met, that God brings you into contact with. Because prayer and partnership are essential for living sin. There's a third thing. Pool. Pool your resources. Pool your resources. Acts 2, again, all who believed had everything in common. They were selling their possessions, their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You read it. Now, the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. See, and no one said, this is chapter 4. You know, as, as Luke again reiterates, no one said that any of the things that belonged to them were his own. They had everything in common. And with great power, chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 says, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So we pool our resources. Now, you need to be clear as to what's going on in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost when they have 3,000 new believers, Right? I mean, 3,000 brand new believers. So what needs to happen next? They've come from all over the place. Many countries listed in Acts chapter 2, right? They've come from everywhere. And, and the apostles, the believers there, encourage them to stay so they can continue to teach them the word so they can begin to disciple them, Right? And so as long as they're going to have to stay longer in the city, they began to share and pool resources for the purpose of discipling new believers and continuing to proclaim the, the Word of God. Right? And that's why we pool resources. Because we understand God's call that He's placed on us as a church family, and so we invite everybody, let's pool our resources. Let's, that may be time, it may be, you know, it may be finances, it may be spiritual gifts, but let's combine, let's pool our resources so that we can be more effective for discipleship and for the gospel. 
Okay, so, so we pray, right? We partner with others. We, we pool our resources and we focus on persons, on persons. The focus is on one person, one family at a time. And so we're back to the narrative now in, in chapter 3. Peter and John going up the temple at the hour of prayer. Verse 2, and a lame man from birth was being carried. Now we later find that in, in chapter 4 that he's, he's over 40 years of age. So this is a, you know, a congenital, a chronic you know, condition. It's well known. Okay? He was being carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple now watch. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This is what he did every day. And Peter directed his gaze, and the word there is a tenzo, at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive from something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Thomas and Aquinas, it's a fairly famous story, was giving a, being given a tour of the papal residence the papal palace in Rome at one point, and his guide remarked, looking at all the fine art and ornate detail of the rooms, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? To which Aquinas replied, neither can it say rise up and walk. Will have been earthly power, position, possessions, do not matter in comparison to persons. Do not matter in comparison to persons. I love this story because Peter and John fix their gaze upon this man. The word atenzo is a, a very strong Greek word which means to look steadfastly, to fasten one's eyes upon, to look into or lock onto. Here's Peter and John, and they, they, they fix their attention upon him. And, and when they do that, this beggar, this lame man, responds by fixing his attention on them. But it's a different Greek word. You know, the, the, the beggar basically perks up and starts kind of paying attention because he's expecting some attention. But it says of the apostles that they, they literally saw this guy differently than they'd seen him before. You see, you've got to realize that these apostles, Peter and John, have been walking into the temple every day for weeks, maybe even months. How many times have they walked past this guy without noticing? What was it today? that made the difference. Why today? 
Did they notice him? See, I would suggest to you that when the Spirit of God is active in our lives, the Spirit of God will call attention to where we need to be attentive. The Spirit of God will get our attention and fix our, you know, our focus, our gaze where it needs to be. And invariably, it's going to be on relationships. It's going to be on persons. On persons. There are a couple of lessons of geography in the book of Acts. Let me just hit them right quick. The key verse in the book of Acts is what? 1-8. When Jesus says to the apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Okay? So if we start with a Christ-centered church, saying the gospel is going to spread in concentric circles from that center. And, and so Jesus says, you will first be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay? And then to Judea, also amongst the Jewish people. And then where? And then Samaria. You see this, these concentric circles moving outward from a center that is where Christ is in the center, then the gospel, the proclamation, the message, the ministry will, you know, will, will begin to move outward until, Jesus says, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we'll, just, we'll do this as the four corners of the earth. So there's kind of a geographical lesson there, okay? All right. Now, the same holds true, you know, for you and I. I'm just saying, for us as a church, okay? As a church, we have to ask ourselves, what is our Jerusalem? And the answer would be Plano or West Plano or Plano. What would be our Judea? Partnering with other churches maybe in Dallas or the Dallas area? You're saying... Texas could be our Samaria, or it could be Oklahoma. <laughs> Since that's what's more true to, I'm saying, to the inference of the text, you know, Samaria, Oklahomans. <laughs> and my kids live there now, right? Okay, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that it makes sense? I'm saying, is it, is it you know, that our emphasis Beginning emphasis needs to be on how do we, whoop, making a mess. How do we reach Plano? How do we reach our community, okay? We'll start with us, right? Okay? Start with us because we live in the same relational kinds of spheres, do we not? So if we start with a Christ-centered person, right, how is ministry going to take place? Where would we start? Family. Family. Okay. And from family, that might go to, let's go, friends. Our neighbors. A 
can't spell it. Friends, neighbors, close work associates, people that are in our daily traffic pattern, right? This isn't rocket science, is it? Okay. And then where would it go after that? Maybe to acquaintances, new people that we're meeting, new people that have been brought into our sphere and out that, we, that we're getting to know. So we could say acquaintances, Right out of room there. Acquaintances. And then beyond that might be Mr. X, Mr. Y. But oftentimes, see, what we think of, and we think of, you know, of, of, of our ministry or, or us sharing the good news with somebody, I mean, we think about Mr. X, Mr. Y, don't we? Don't we? You know, some, some, we, if we think about evangelism or we think about, you know, about how we are to reach people, we, we tend to focus on somebody out there in the far reaches, you know, when the first thing we, we could be doing is praying, partnering, pooling resources, and beginning to identify the persons that God has placed in our sphere, in our spheres, those that are closest to us who need Christ who need the gospel. Okay. So Peter and John, they focus, they fix their gaze. They, the Spirit of God makes them attentive in that moment to this man. And they are ready with the last thing, proclamation. And so here's this, here's this lame man, verse 8. He's leaping up. He stood. He began to walk. And he entered into the temple with them. And he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. What an incredible display that is. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him. They'd seen him every day. At the gate that was called Beautiful. Always asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the, listen, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them at the portico, which was called Solomon's, which was a covered portion, a shady portion of, of the temple area. And, and then verse 12, and when Peter saw, when he saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power? Or piety, we made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When, you, when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked instead for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed, listen, the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. They were ready with a verbal witness, with proclamation. So how do we lift scent? How do we fire on all cylinders? We pray. We partner. We pool our resources in an effort to reach our community and our friends we focus on persons in our spheres around us.
and we're ready. When the opportunity comes, sometimes when it doesn't come, in season, out of season, we are ready with the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And I'll leave you with this. The reason why our vision statement is live sent is because it's a lifestyle. It's not a once in a while. It's not a, mm, okay, we do an event. God is calling us into a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Living sent. Willing to serve, willing to engage for the purpose of the gospel willing to nurture, to disciple, and all along the way to put faith and trust in the one who is worthy of faith and trust, the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you taking aim? You see his will better? for us now after the last several weeks okay let's fire let's fire let's pray